OU moves up two spots to number seven in the latest college football playoff rankings. Baylor makes a massive leap from 14 to nine. Ohio State overtakes LSU. The Buckeyes now the number one team with the final week of the regular season on tap. Guess what, gang? The playoff committee sent the Sooners a message, a message that Oklahoma can all but guarantee itself a spot in the playoff if it comes down to Utah versus OU versus Alabama for that fourth spot. Here's why. Look at the top. The committee jumped Ohio State over LSU after the Buckeyes beat a top 10 team by double digits. By the way, Ohio State should have won that game by a lot more. Turnovers kept Penn State in the game. Meanwhile, LSU scored a bunch of points as they are wont to do, but the Tigers also allowed 20 points to Arkansas. The Hawks had scored 20 just once since mid-October. Even though LSU won the game comfortably, that wasn't enough in the committee's eyes to keep them at number one. A different team was more impressive that day, and that team was Ohio State. Now look at Baylor. This week's rankings serve as an admission to the public that the committee had been wrong about the Bears over the past month. In hindsight, the committee realized that Baylor is a pretty good football team, and it took a great first half showing against Oklahoma and a dominant win over Texas for them to see it. Sure, a lot of you have been frustrated by where Baylor had been ranked. I know Grant really was. But what have I been telling you all for weeks? The only rankings that matter are the final rankings. Just give it some time. The Bears have continued to play well, and now the committee has noticed. If Baylor beats Kansas, the Bears will be a top 10 team heading into the Big 12 championship game. So that brings me to Oklahoma. The Sooners are in great shape, but OU must not leave anything up to chance if the Sooners really want to make the playoff. My contention is this. OU must not only beat OSU this Saturday, the Sooners must beat the Cowboys convincingly. Cover the 13.5-point spread. Hold that offense below its season average in points and send a message to the committee that Oklahoma is getting better and playing its best football at the right time. If that happens and the Sooners go into the Big 12 title with just one loss, OU must do the same thing against Baylor. On one of the biggest stages, the Sooners must not leave any doubt who the best team in the Big 12 is in 2019. A comfortable win over Baylor on conference championship weekend would make it very difficult for the committee to put Utah or Alabama in the playoff instead of Oklahoma, regardless of how those other teams look down the stretch. By the way, the 538 playoff predictor states that if Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Alabama, Utah, and OU all went out, that the Sooners would have a 70% chance of making the playoff, Utah 23%, Alabama just 6 I know I need to be consistent. I've been saying this all season long, and I still contend that the current playoff rankings don't mean much in the grand scheme of things. There's going to be another poll next week, and then one more after that. While these rankings ultimately won't matter two weeks from now, at least the Sooners should take note of what the committee did. Just because you're behind a team with the same record as you and you both keep winning, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't move up and pass somebody. Just ask Ohio State and LSU. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. And no intro today, gang. Grant's still out in Vegas. It's been a quick, busy week of work and prep, so 
Didn't have any time to put an intro together. Plus, I want to get you all the info about Bedlam in the most efficient way as possible, so no beating around the bush, no waste of time. Although Grant is not here with me on the pod today, you will hear his voice a little bit during the show. I've got some sound from him that he left me before jetting off to Vegas. He's got thoughts on Grant Calcaterra's retirement from football, and of course, thoughts on Oklahoma State. I'll play those pieces of audio for you later in the show. Also, I've got a piece of audio I'm going to play from Alex Grinch's Monday night media availability. Grinch said something Monday that I absolutely loved, and I think all of you will love it as well. Real quick, thank you all, as always, for the support of West of Everest. We can now be found, by the way, on Stitcher. Plus, you can listen to this show, like always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter, at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And make sure to like the West of Everest Facebook page if you have not done that already. And thank you to all of you who've left us nice ratings and reviews lately. Great stuff as we reach the end of the regular season. Don't have any news and notes segment to start the show today. Instead, I'm going to just jump right in to the Bedlam matchup, and I'll touch on some of the things that we heard from this week as we go along. All right, so let's begin with the matchup between Oklahoma's offense versus Oklahoma State's defense. Let's start with Jalen Hurts and a couple of things from the news conference on Monday. Talked a little bit about this on the post TCU podcast. It was pretty obvious that there was a few deep throws that Hertz was just missing. And he was asked about that and he didn't seem too concerned about it. He essentially said it happens. You know, he preps, he prepares every single week to play great. And, you know, sometimes throws like that happen. And Lincoln Riley was also not too concerned about it. He mentioned that. Boy, you combine all of the missed throws. It was like by a total of like four feet. I think that might have been a bit exaggerating, a bit of exaggeration on Riley's part because he did overthrow, you know, one to Lamb, I think, or one to Rambo. It was more than just a yard and change. But okay, I'll take his word for it. So not too concerned about that. Oklahoma was pretty close to hitting some explosive plays. Uh, the main issue, obviously, has been Hertz's ball security of late. I believe five turnovers in the last three games. And it was pretty funny. Barry Trammell asked Lincoln Riley if he thinks that some of the concerns and issues with Jalen Hurts's ball security of late is just because Hurts has moved up to a more physical conference in the Big 12. And that got a good laugh line, or it was a pretty good laugh line for uh, the rest of the media. And Lincoln Riley kind of liked that. But, you know, Barry was kind of serious about it because his claim was that the Big 12 defensively has improved. And I think the numbers suggest and show that the Big 12 has improved. I know Mike Gundy talked about it a little bit as press conference too this past week that across the board, scoring is down. Yards per game is down, I believe. It's slight, but it's down. And, and Lincoln Riley mentioned that he does think that there are some really good defenses in this league, including Oklahoma's, and that uh, this conference, uh, you know, it, there's some – some thoughts nationally that it's bad defense and the big 12 is just kind of kind of play against those those perceptions and uh it doesn't really matter because we all watch the tape you see some good defenses there so i thought that was kind of a funny question by barry trammell 
uh, that got uh, some interesting comments on the state of Big 12 defenses because let's be real. I mean, you got Iowa State that's been a good defense for the last three years. TCU and Gary Patterson's defense, generally speaking, has been very good. Baylor is the best defense in the conference this year. I know Grant thinks it's one of the best defenses in the country, top 10. I'm starting to kind of come around more to that, especially after the way Baylor handled Texas. And I know Texas is kind of going down a little bit right now as the year plays on. That offense isn't quite as explosive, but they handled Texas's offense very well, only allowed 10 points. So Baylor's defense is is certainly really good. And, and I'm starting to believe that, yeah, maybe it is a top 10 defense in all of college football. And Oklahoma's defense is much improved as much as it's been kind of smoking mirrors here and there. It's been really good and really bad at times the last month. For the most part, we all can acknowledge that Oklahoma's defense is so much better than it was a season ago, and it's not really close. The numbers bear that out in a big way. Uh, Oklahoma, I believe, nationally is a top 50, maybe even a top 40 defense in total defense. Third down conversions, opponent third down conversions, incredibly good. The turnovers just haven't been there. Oklahoma hadn't been able to force many turnovers. And on a yards per play basis, on a per play basis, it's not as good as we'd like it to be, actually. Oklahoma's still giving up more than five yards per play. But overall, the raw stats for Oklahoma's defense, such a huge improvement. I did want to touch on something real quick, too, before I kind of get into the Oklahoma State defensive numbers to talk about that defense and, and what they're all about. Both Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley a couple of times, or at least one time each on Monday, acknowledged, and I, this was also after the game too, Riley did at least, acknowledged that Oklahoma dominated TCU and felt that the scoreboard was not an accurate reflection of just how dominant the Sooners were in that game. And the evidence or the reasoning behind that was by each of those guys was just barely missing on some of those explosive plays, but also the turnovers. Jalen Hurts obviously getting the ball taken away from him as he's going into the red zone, you know, crossing the 10-yard line. Oklahoma was moving the ball really well in the first half, and Jaden Hazelwood fumbles the ball in plus territory. A pick six in the second half that gives TCU a touchdown as Oklahoma is potentially going in to score. That's a 14-point swing. So the contention is that look at the stats, look at the way the game played out. Oklahoma – uh, both Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley said in different ways that that game was not nearly as close as the score indicated. And I think when you watch the game back and you look at the numbers and you just be intellectually honest, I think they're incredible. They're, they're right. That's true. Uh, the question is, though, how does that translate and move into bedlam? Does that matter at all? Can Oklahoma avoid those mistakes? Can Oklahoma finish those drives? Because if so, Bedlam's going to go very well for Oklahoma in my estimation, but the problem is is that Oklahoma has been turning the ball over a little bit more lately than they would like. They're not getting as many turnovers as they would like, and that's all coming together and leading to a game where Oklahoma only holds TCU to 200, a little over 200 yards, outgains them by about 300-plus yards, and still only wins by four points on the scoreboard. So can Oklahoma play more consistent? Riley acknowledged that everybody is battling that consistency issue throughout the season. It's college football. It's going to happen. They're kids, and it's up to them to play better and prepare better, and the coaches need to get them ready to go in the most important time of the year. Let's look at Oklahoma State's defensive numbers, and although the Cowboys' defense is 
played pretty well this season and seems to be a lot better defense than it was a season ago. It's 82nd overall in the nation in total defense. The Cowboys allowing 415 yards per game. They're allowing 5.6, nearly 5.7 yards per play. They have 24 sacks this year. That's just 64th in the nation, so middle of the road. They have taken the ball away a lot more than Oklahoma has and a lot more in the recent weeks. Oklahoma State was not ter- was not taking the ball away much at all at the first part of the year. And the last four games, the Cowboys have taken it away 10 times, although Oklahoma State did not force a turnover against West Virginia last week. Didn't matter. Oklahoma State still won that game 20-13. to Explosive plays. Oklahoma State gives up its fair share of them. They've allowed 54 plays of 20 or more yards. That's 83rd in the nation. They've allowed... 22 plays of 30 or more yards and they've allowed 12 plays this year of 40 or more yards so this defense does give up explosive plays they're allowing 26.4 points per game which is 58th in the nation not not too bad slightly above average although in the last four games which is probably a better indication of where this Oklahoma State defense is currently at the Cowboys are allowing nearly a touchdown less Uh, 20 points per game allowed the last four all of them wins and the last two games against West Virginia and against Kansas to be fair not offensive juggernauts although Kansas has looked a lot better offensively since Les Miles fired their offensive coordinator after the OU game Oklahoma State held both of those teams West Virginia and KU to 13 points each so Oklahoma State's defense playing some of its best football right now and it's worth noting Mike Gundy on his on Monday at his press conference mentioned that Oklahoma State's defense right now is as healthy on defense or they they are actually healthy on defense for the first time this year. So take that for what it's worth. Mike Gundy feels like his defense is at full strength going into the biggest game of the year for both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So what are you going to see from Oklahoma State's defense? You're going to see a three down, you know, a three three five kind of look in my estimation from Jim Knowles. Uh, the three down linemen are it's a solid group. You're going to see number ninety four Trace Ford, kind of that hybrid defensive end linebacker in this defense. Essentially, Ford is playing the Jordan Brailford role that Brailford played a season ago, and Brailford I think was the best player in Oklahoma State's defense last year, and that's a position where Jim Knowles asks his guy to move around quite a bit. You play essentially on the line sometimes, usually in a stand-up role, but you can also play middle linebacker. You can play outside linebacker. You have to have a lot of flexibility to move around the formation and get put into certain spots. Oklahoma State plays with a couple more linebackers, and they do have five DBs out there most of the time from what I can see. You see three safeties playing for Oklahoma State, and they're pretty good. Trey Sterling, to me, looks to be their most important safety. I know Colby Harvell Peel is also a pretty important player and he's popped lately, but when you look at Sterling, what I've seen just based off of the West Virginia game, he kind of acts as that middle safety from time to time, kind of like what you'd see from Iowa State or Texas these days. And that's not what Oklahoma State's defense is. They don't play those Iowa State, Texas type principles all the time. Every once in a while they will. 
Uh, but the point is, it looks like Sterling's asked to do a little bit of everything, play the pass, obviously, also kind of act as another linebacker here and there, come up and stop the run. So Trey Sterling's an important part of this defense, and he seems confident enough to move around the formation quite a bit. And uh, Jim Knowles obviously seems to trust him quite a bit. Uh, and then in the secondary, on the outside, it's still A.J. Green and it's still Rodarius Williams at corner. I believe both of those players, this is their third year starting at cornerback so they're incredibly experienced on the outside so certainly it will be a challenge for the likes of cd lamb charleston rambo Jaden hazelwood theo weiss anybody that plays outside there and gets matched up with those corners because jim Knowles likes to put those guys on an island because he, why not they've been around the block once or twice they've seen a lot of plays they've faced a lot of good teams and wide receivers in this conference over the years and so uh, tell your some of your best players on defense to go out there and, and win one-on-one matchups and you're going to see that a lot against Oklahoma on Saturday I noticed against West Virginia Oklahoma State Knowles likes to dial up some a gap blitzes from the secondary with the safeties that you know maybe they'll come out of nowhere a little bit and obviously likes to get into the face of that quarterback to force that quarterback to do something uh, I saw Sterling, I saw Rodriguez make a couple of those runs at uh, Jarrett Deggy, the, the new West Virginia quarterback. You'll see them get creative. They'll disguise some zero blitzes and they'll send the house or they'll drop everybody. And that's kind of a standard thing, but it's worth noting because you know, they'll show man across the board. Nobody will be in the middle of the field and that's what they'll do they'll blitz but other times they'll show it and they'll drop into a zone and that's got a chance to confuse any quarterback if you don't see it and just something as simple as the Iowa State game Brock Purdy threw three picks in that game and one of the biggest picks was a pick six or I believe it was Malcolm Rodriguez and it wasn't even really a, a big zero blitz he just kind of came up to the line of scrimmage showed like he was going to blitz and then backed out on the snap kind of like Nick Benito against Baylor and Purdy just didn't see him and all that's all it took was that little bluff by Rodriguez and boom it was an easy pick six so uh, Oklahoma State's not afraid to show something and then do something totally different and the way Jalen Hurts has been turning the ball over it's somewhat of a concern because Oklahoma State's been getting turnovers and I'm sure a lot of the reason why is because the Cowboys are not afraid to disguise things and throw some different kind of looks at opposing quarterbacks. And speaking of blitzing, y'all may have seen this in the West Virginia OSU game. Late in the game, Oklahoma State was on defense. West Virginia driving, trying to score a tying touchdown. And the rain started coming down in Morgantown late in the fourth quarter. And it was first down in the red zone for the Mountaineers. And three out of the last four snaps by West Virginia on first down, second down, third down, and fourth down, Oklahoma State brought brought the house, and every single time it worked. Deggy never had enough time to find anybody open. It was good tight coverage across the board, and a turnover on downs got Oklahoma State off the field and got the Cowboys the win. Also earlier in that game, and Mike Gundy called this the basically the play of the, the game or the, the moment of the game, even though it happened in the second quarter, Oklahoma State's defense got a goal line stand early on in that second quarter against West Virginia, and it was really impressive because Oklahoma State was able to stop back-to-back quarterback sneaks from look to be inside the one-yard line. There was a false start on third down. It moved everything back, and then the, 
there was an incomplete pass on third down, which forced a field goal. And so that saved four points right there in the game. Oklahoma State was leading at the time. It should have been probably tied at seven after that because West Virginia probably should have been able to score from inside the one-yard line in three plays. Mountaineers didn't. Instead, Oklahoma leads 7-3 to three at that time. And earlier in the game, too, West Virginia, West Virginia also missed a field goal. And so up to that point, Oklahoma State had saved itself seven total points. And how many points did Oklahoma State win by? Seven. So every time you see a goal line stand like that, that's incredibly impressive. I don't recall even yet to this year, 11 games in, even with the improvement in Oklahoma's defense, this is why it'd be nice to have Grant here to bounce us off of. I don't recall a, a goal line stand, really, a true goal line stand by Oklahoma all year. I don't know if they have that kind of push near the goal line. It seems like every time still, even though this defense for the 10th time on this podcast is much improved, for whatever reason, short yardage, goal line, they're not getting that that dominant penetration to just stonewall people. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm missing a, a stand earlier in the year that I just can't think of right now because it's been so long. But uh, the reason I bring that up is that Oklahoma State clearly is capable of doing that. And that's a testament to their front three, their front seven, if you will, and their willingness to not concede a touchdown when the opposing team is inside the one-yard line. One other thing that I want to touch on on this Oklahoma offense matchup versus Oklahoma State defense matchup, and you all may have seen this or heard about this, and this was pretty interesting, I thought. Mike Gundy on Monday mentioned that when you look at Oklahoma, what is Oklahoma really? A wishbone team, a one-man show, speaking of Jalen Hurts. And Gundy talked about how Oklahoma is a triple option team disguised as a spread team. And... I'll be honest with you. I think Gundy is pretty much correct about that take. And honestly, after watching the TCU game back, I'm just kind of mad that I didn't have the guts to come out and make that claim before Mike Gundy did. And I think the biggest tell for me in that TCU game was how the Frogs defended Oklahoma. They brought six, seven guys up in the box, played read and react, gap discipline defense in which they did their best to set the edge and make Jalen Hurts have to make the wrong call or the wrong read on all those run plays. On the outside, I saw a lot of man, weren't really all that afraid of Hurts throwing the football. And the problem for TCU, though, in the game was that Oklahoma was still able to run the ball pretty well all night. And I think the tape did show that. So after the game and on Monday, as Lincoln Riley talked about how good they ran the ball against TCU, I don't think he was blowing smoke. He kept claiming that Oklahoma was running the ball so well, and that's why Oklahoma kept running it. I think he is correct, and again, I think the tape bears that out, and it wasn't that he just didn't have confidence in Jalen Hurts throwing the football. It's that they're running the ball so well. Let's just keep doing it. We control the line of scrimmage, control the clock, and shorten this game. Now, with Gundy coming out and saying what he said about Oklahoma being a wishbone-type offense, I wonder if he's going to ask Jim Knowles to adopt a lot of the same principles that TCU ran to slow down Jalen Hurts. That remains to be seen. With that being said, although this Oklahoma State defense is playing its best football of the season right now, I do still think this is a defense that Oklahoma should have success against. The Cowboys do actually stop the run pretty well. Second in the Big 12, only behind Iowa State. But you might remember, TCU was the number one Big 12 team in stopping the run before last week. What happened then? The Frogs played the Sooners. 
And now TCU is fourth in the Big 12 against the run. Funny how that works. I think the Sooners should be able to find some success, especially considering how well Lincoln Riley believed that offensive line played last Saturday. And I do think Oklahoma State's front is pretty solid, but the Cowboys, you know, run that 3-3-5 look, and they kind of, you know, again, they move Trace Ford around quite a bit. They'll put him on the line scrimmage, then they won't. Uh, I do like fewer players up on the line against Oklahoma's rush attack. Iowa State does that a lot. Oklahoma was able to run the ball really well against Iowa State, at least in the first half until after halftime, adjustments were made, and Oklahoma looked very poor. But I just I, I like that matchup especially considering Oklahoma's offensive line got great reviews against a, a really good run defense in TCU. I know I was higher on the Frogs run defense than Grant was. Uh, I suppose Grant technically was a little more correct about that because Grant did think Oklahoma was going to have a lot of success running the ball, and he was right. So I, I think TCU's run defense is better than Oklahoma State's run defense, and I'd like to think and hope that Oklahoma can continue that success against the Cowboys. All right, that's all I have on Oklahoma's offense versus TCU's defense. I don't have anything from Grant specifically on this matchup. So before I move on to the OU defense versus the OSU offense, I will play the first piece of sound I have from Grant, and this is Grant on Grant Calcaterra. Before I get like really into the, the nitty-gritty of the game, uh, I, I want to talk about the retirement of Grant Calcaterra. That happened earlier this week. Um, I, I just wanted to give a shout out to, to him as a player. He was a guy who was a lot of fun to watch. And, and it sounds like just based off of everybody who's talked to him and, and just kind of the brief time we, we got to see him speak to the media and whatnot, just seems like a really great kid. So it's, it's always heartbroken when, when someone as talented as that has to, has to hang it up because of injuries sustained. And it's, of course, even more scary when it's concussions. When you're this young and you have to retire because of concussions, that generally means you've probably, you've probably experienced a lot of them. Um, and I, I can't even imagine what it's like to have uh, a concussion and then just have the lingering symptoms. And, and I'm sure that's very hard for Grant. Um, sounds like he's going to go back to Southern California and be a firefighter. Uh, he's always going to live on in, in Sooner lore with that one-handed touchdown catch against Texas. And, and really, I just wanted to bring up just uh, the human side of it, how much my heart aches for Grant Calcaterra, because that is that is just a really difficult thing to have to go through. Um, and uh, just sort of a, a big kind of adult-like decision he had to make uh, pretty early on in his life. And, and I just kind of wanted to, to shout out to him, uh, a great Sooner and a guy that we'll, uh, we'll probably never forget here in the Crimson and Cream. So Grant recorded that after the TCU game, and I saved it for the show, so that's why the beginning part kind of referenced the game and things like that. But uh, anyways, very well said, and I suppose I haven't really given any thoughts on Calgary on this podcast. I share the same thoughts Grant has when it comes to Calgary. One of my favorite OU players over the last three seasons. Man, I, I was talking about this with some coworkers last week whenever – the news came down and he retired and I hesitate to say this because I'm 32 now which that feels incredibly old to me because I still feel like I'm 23 which I'm sure a lot of you can relate that listen to this that are not in college anymore and older and some of you are probably older than me and are thinking shut up you're not even that old but point being I hesitate to say this because I'm going to compliment a college kid, and it just feels kind of bizarre, you know, mentioning uh, saying this about somebody that's probably t- what ten years younger than me. But 
Grant Calcaterra just epitomized cool. I mean, every time he walked into the room, the media room, or he saw him on the field, and just the his whole personality, uh, the way he looked, the way he carried himself, he just was a really cool guy. And it came across so well. You could tell that his entire uh, his entire team, uh, everybody loved that guy or loves that guy. I mean, he's still on the team. He just he, obviously he's not playing. Uh, it's just I have a lot of respect for people like that that clearly are really good at getting along with others. Uh, just you gravitate to the to to those types of people. Uh, always positive, it would seem. You know, it's almost like a cliche. You know, he's from Southern California. He's kind of got that California cool, got the long hair. You know, this season he grew out the ridiculous mustache because it's like, you know what? Why not? He can pull it off. He's kind of a, I'm sure he's kind of a goofy guy, and but, a, you know, a, kind of a funny guy, and I'm sure the, the players ribbed him for it, but he pulled it off because he probably wanted to be funny, and he knew he could do it because he's a really good player. And he was going to be, in my opinion, a first-round tight end. If, if a team needed a tight end in the first round, uh, he could have been that guy. So Grant made a point to say it was a, an adult decision, and it is. I mean, he his quality of life, I hope, will be a lot better now. Uh, he seems like he's somewhat at peace with it just based off of the video he released. Unfortunately, I was not able to go to his media availability he had earlier this week, so I know he spoke a lot more about it. But just want to uh, just say Grant Calcaterra, really good football player, had a future in the NFL. It's not going to work out for him, but the fact that he wants to go and be a firefighter, uh, that that probably tells you also a lot about the kid. I mean, he wants to go give back and help out others, and he made a point to talk about how he wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself. That's just his personality, and – He's a really good dude, and I wish the best for him. Uh, it's one of those things where I had a couple interactions with him over the last few years, you know, just the media settings, and always got the vibe, again, that he's just a just an awesome guy, uh, respectful to everyone in the media, always answered everyone's questions, happy to talk, and good luck, Grant Calcaterra. It was fun watching you play, and we wish you the best. All right, let's switch to the Oklahoma defense versus the Oklahoma State offense. And let's start with this, the quarterback, obviously a big deal. Drew Brown is in, Spencer Sanders is out. Spencer Sanders, thumb surgery, suffered the injury against Kansas a couple weeks ago. So here are my takeaways from the West Virginia game and Drew Brown. His first start at Oklahoma State, by the way. He's a solid player, solid player. Average arm, decent accuracy, did look to have some issues pushing the ball down the field against West Virginia. Now, I know it was a little cold there in Morgantown. Didn't start raining till the end. But I did see a little bit of problems with him pushing the ball down the field. Didn't seem to have a big arm really throwing it deep. He's not anywhere near as mobile as Spencer Sanders. And, in fact, I'd say Drew Brown is the least mobile quarterback the Sooners have faced since Oklahoma played Austin Kendall on October the 19th, which was one game before K-State. OSU's offense implements a bunch of zone read concepts, but I thought there was a lot fewer quarterback keepers. And I just thought there were uh, a lot fewer quarterback keepers with Drew Brown in as opposed to Spencer Sanders. I was not surprised by that. Uh, I saw Brown keep the ball just twice against West Virginia on zone reads. Both of those plays didn't come until the fourth quarter. Uh, 
he did look to have some decent pocket awareness. I saw him slide a bit to the left and right to create some throwing lanes for himself when he needed to. Saw him step up a bit here and there. However, West Virginia was able to get to him three sacks on the game. You know, Drew Brown, this this isn't Skylar Thompson. This isn't Brock Purdy. This isn't Charlie Brewer. This isn't Max Duggan back there. This isn't a guy who can extend plays at the same type of level as the four previous quarterbacks Oklahoma has seen. Now let's go over to Chuba Hubbard. And everybody knows about Chuba Hubbard. What is there left to say about him? As far as I'm concerned, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I think he's the best running back in college football. And I'll just say it right now. Limiting Chuba Hubbard, because you're not going to stop this guy. You're not going to shut him down. This isn't going to be a scenario where Leonard Fournette against everybody in college football back when he was playing for LSU would just rack up rushing yards and touchdowns, except for when LSU played against Alabama and the Crimson Tide would hold him to like 35 or 40 yards rushing, which is just ridiculous. It's not, I mean, you can't do that against Chuba Hubbard, especially with Oklahoma's defense, but you can limit him. And that's going to be the key to the game. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be difficult, though, uh, for many reasons, obviously, because Chuba Hubbard is incredibly electric. He's got great vision. He's big. He's tough to bring down. He's fast. He's got breakaway speed. And he's smart. And also, you throw in the fact that Mike Gundy said on Monday that the core of his offensive line, which is a, a pretty veteran group, it's fully intact for the first time since week three. So... Offensive line coach Charlie Dickey is dealing with a healthy, fully intact offensive line for the first time since September, and Mike Gundy is clearly going to be pretty excited about that, and it's just a shame from his perspective, from Oklahoma State's perspective, I'm sure that Spencer Sanders can't go because of how well Sanders was playing and how the offensive line was rounding into form. But as far as defending Chuba Hubbard, LaRon Stokes the other day, being asked about that obviously he'll be playing up front trying to bring down Chuba Hubbard he emphasized the importance of being gap sound against Oklahoma State you gotta be gap sound and it's worth noting and this is actually a pretty important detail of the way Oklahoma State's running the football right now Chuba Hubbard is coming off his least impressive game of the year running only 106 yards on the ground no touchdowns Chuba only averaged 4.1 yards per carry I think it's no coincidence that this was the first full game without Spencer Sanders. And when Spencer Sanders is in there, he adds that extra run element, which is able to help out Chuba Hubbard open up lanes for him. Because if you got to account for Spencer Sanders, it's going to make it more difficult for you to stop Chuba Hubbard when you're not accounting for the quarterback as much. When Drew Brown's not keeping it as much, West Virginia was able to load up against that run. And it paid off. The Mountaineers did a pretty good job of, of slowing him down and limiting Chuba Hubbard's ability on the ground. Now, Oklahoma State was able to get Chuba the ball out of the backfield through the air. He had seven catches for 88 yards. And the very first drive of the game, he had an explosive screen pass that went for 40-plus where the tackling was very poor. But once Chuba broke a tackle, he was out down the sideline and he showed off that speed. And that led to a touchdown that drive. So... I'd anticipate a healthy amount of screen opportunities against Oklahoma. It, if I had to guess, I didn't chart them all, but I'd say they called about probably five screen passes against West Virginia. And so 
you know, Oklahoma obviously is going to be looking for that. How much will Oklahoma State, how much will Sean Gleason call those screen passes? We'll see. As far as throwing the football, Dylan Stoner is the main guy now for Oklahoma State. Tylen Wallace obviously, obviously has been out since October. Uh, one of the best receivers in college football. Such an impressive player. He's out, though, with the torn ACL. So another kind of a break there for Oklahoma. Uh, it, it sucks for, obviously, Oklahoma State. But in purposes of game-to-game matchup, uh, it's a break for Oklahoma. It is. Uh, Oklahoma State's responded since Tylen Wallace's injury. Oklahoma State hasn't lost a game since Tylen Wallace was injured, actually. So that's rather interesting. The first game was against TCU without him, and, and they were able to put up 34 points on TCU in Stillwater. But Dylan Stoner, he's the main guy now. He had eight catches for 62 yards and a touchdown against West Virginia. And I did mention that it seems like Drew Brown has a tough time pushing the ball down the field. It is worth mentioning, too, that he had a nice deep touchdown pass the previous week in mop-up duty. And no, that's not the right way to say it. Uh, in relief of Drew uh, Spencer Sanders, rather, after Sanders left the game with the thumb injury, he had a nice 43-yard touchdown pass to Dylan Stoner in that game where he he was able to display some good down-the-field accuracy and, and some really nice conditions. And the weather, by the way, Saturday, as you all probably know, is going to be pretty good. It's going to be during the day, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And that night, you know, the sun will go down. It'll probably get a little chilly, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a, a – you know, it's not going to be rain or weather, things like that. Other receivers to look out for – uh, Braden Johnson is still there. He's a guy that can stretch the field. He's been kind of quiet of late. Uh, he's had some explosive plays. He had a big-time explosive play, I believe, against Iowa State. That stands out, but didn't do – he was targeted a couple times against West Virginia, but it, for the most part, it was Dylan Stoner and uh, Jelani Woods. The big old tight end had a touchdown catch in that game, and that guy's a, a monster, a, an easy red zone target. You, you wonder why they don't use him more in the red zone. He caught his first touchdown pass last week against West Virginia, and uh, you saw Oklahoma State go to a couple couple big sets down near the goal line. They call it the cowboy back, kind of their H-back tight end kind of hybrid, and they put three different cowboy backs on the field with some success down near the goal line, and one of those plays was Jelani Woods' big touchdown, so he's a matchup nightmare for anybody, but it seems like they only kind of use him down near the goal line, so keep an eye out for him there, but really it's Man, Oklahoma's secondary, do your best to slow down Dylan Stoner, take him away, and it doesn't seem like there's many other options for Drew Brown right now. At least that's what the evidence bared out against West Virginia. It was, again, it was Dylan Stoner, a little bit of Jelani Woods, and, and really nothing else. It was dumping the ball down to Chuba Hubbard out of the backfield. I will say offensive coordinator Sean Gleason, his first year there in Stillwater, Really creative guy. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of wrinkles he has to, to try to help out Drew Brown and, and get him more comfortable as he plays uh, you know, in the biggest game of his life in, in Bedlam. All right, that's all I have on Oklahoma State's offense against OU's defense. Uh, but before I move on to what I want to see happen in Bedlam on Saturday, I have some sound from Alex Grinch from Monday night. And there's a Powerball number theme going on at practice for Alex Grinch. And I'm going to play the sound by it, and I'll try my best to explain what I mean by that. But that's all I'm going to say to set this up. And then uh, we'll talk about it after we hear what Coach Grinch has to say. 
But in any event, we're, we're going through some, okay, what's the score? What's it matter? Mm-hmm. You know, and then and rattling off, and just rattling off numbers. And, I, and then my point to them is if your initial reaction when I say 24-7, you're going to say who's winning, then you don't get it. You don't get it. That's not, that's not, that's, you know, if I say 14 nothing, then you say, well, are we winning, coach? And you don't, you don't understand what we're talking about, regardless of what the scoreboard reads. There's just numbers. You know, we'll tell you the score at the end of the game. And again, I just, uh, I guess I'm trying to get cute or something. I just ran off no, Powerball. Because my, my point to them was it's just as arbitrary as anything else. So at practice, it sounds like Alex Grinch will just yell out numbers, might as well be Powerball numbers, because they're just all at random. And you could hear him. His point is that it doesn't matter what the score in the game is. You got to play defense the same exact way every single time. And I think to all of us watching the games at home, listening to podcasts, listening to pundits talk, listening to coaches talk, that all seems so obvious to us, right? How would you ever kind of uh, let up or not care as much or not try as much? And that might not be the the most precise way to put it whenever Oklahoma isn't playing as well on defense. But I, and I'm with you, but I've never played college football. I've never been at that high level. I've never played at Oklahoma, obviously, where, you know, you're expected to win every single game and and you're never supposed to lose. So maybe there's something to the the psyche of 18 to 22 year old kids. Even when you do, you know, you get up three touchdowns in the first half like we saw against TCU that maybe subconsciously you kind of you you get a little lazy or you 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 realize that hey you know we can kind of not take a play off but you know a big play here is not going to necessarily hurt us that much because we have this big cushion and it's a human thing and so I like to hear that in practice they're trying their best to drill this into them that, man, it doesn't matter what the score is. Just go out there and get three and outs and takeaways. That's been the thing, three and out, takeaway. And it seems like a very simple thing, but I always like to hear examples in practice of trying to make things more game-like. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at a couple weeks ago when I was asking Alex Grinch about how to simulate that backs against the wall, hey, you know, we have to get a stop every single time out here. How do you simulate that in practice? And they do their best to do it. It's just Grinch pointed out back then that, you know, things do get different in the game and you, there's only so much you can do in practice. And you just kind of hope that 11 games in, all that experience, what Oklahoma's gone through the last month or so, getting turnovers in crucial times late in the game, that is all leading up to something bigger and better. And Lincoln Riley did acknowledge that he does think that getting these takeaways late in games, the Nick Benito interception, the Brennan Radley-Hiles interception, the the big two-point conversion uh, stop against Iowa State, uh, in a defense that's playing a new scheme and was seeing some not very good results since the Kansas State game, Riley said that it's good to you know, it's good that those turnovers and takeaways are happening in those moments because it just gives them more confidence moving forward that yes this is the right scheme the coaches are putting us in the right position and we can make these plays and so I like that Alex Grinch is just yelling out numbers and making it a point that it doesn't matter what the score is three and out takeaway that's what you're supposed to do that's our job get the ball back to the offense, and he's been saying that. That's the goal of the defense ever since he got on campus, 
in January. All right. What do I want to see happen in this game? few things. Number one, another fast start. You take away that Baylor game, and Oklahoma has been fantastic in the first quarter all season long. Even in the past month when Oklahoma has been pretty shaky, the Sooners were up 14-0 against TCU last week after one quarter. Oklahoma was beating Iowa State by a touchdown, 14-7 after one, and also up by 21 at half against Iowa State. And even against K-State, it's a long time ago now, but I'm going to remind you all, the Sooners were beating K-State 17-7 after one quarter in Manhattan, and things are looking good. So I want to see another fast start. I also want to see the offensive line continue its strong play from that TCU game against what has been a pretty good Oklahoma State rush defense. The Sooners obviously want to run the ball, and I do think they should be able to do it against the Cowboys as much as Lincoln Riley. uh, He hasn't been asked about this. Uh, Again, I think Mike Gundy's claim that it's a wishbone style a a triple option style offense disguises a spread I think there's a lot of truth to that there's a lot of those principles and I'm curious to see how Oklahoma State tries to stop it if they if they treat it like a triple option the way they're going to try to play defense against it get C.D. Lamb the football first time I mentioned him all game he was relatively quiet Uh, first time I mentioned him all podcast not all game uh, CD was relatively quiet last week, although I know he did have that touchdown catch. On the other side of the field, you got Tylen Wallace, who is out. Oklahoma State is devoid of a playmaker on the outside like Oklahoma has in CD Lamb. So Oklahoma, use him. And I know Lincoln Riley wants to, and that's the plan. And there's other explosive players like Charleston Rambo and all the five-star freshmen that, by the way, uh, where was Theo Weiss last week? I'm curious as to why he didn't. After such a great showing against Baylor, I didn't see a lot of him against TCU, but uh, I digress. Uh, OSU, not good against the pass this season, uh, towards the bottom of the Big 12. And although the corners, Williams and Green, are experienced, again, they put a lot of those players on islands a lot of the time and Jim Knowles plays an aggressive style of defense and they ask their safeties to play a lot of man here and there too and linebackers as well so uh, there is going to be some some room to pass the football the question is you know what's Oklahoma's game plan going to be because as much as Lincoln Riley wants to tell us that uh, he's not concerned about Jalen Hurts and throwing the ball and things like that and I'm not really either but it's been established he's just he's not as good of a a throw of the football as what Lincoln Riley has had since he's been in Oklahoma so yeah there's there's a bit of a a concern knowing what Oklahoma State does defensively how they can disguise coverages and throw different things at quarterbacks when Hertz is asked to throw or needs to throw yeah there's gonna be some trepidation on my part about him throwing interceptions against this Oklahoma State defense who has a ton of confidence and has been getting a lot of turnovers in the last four games. But again, though, worth pointing out that Oklahoma State was not able to force a turnover against Jarrett Deggy last week at West Virginia. Uh, on defense, sell out to stop the run. Whatever Alex Grinch sees fit to sell out, to, to bring Chuba Hubbard down, just, just do it. I'm going to leave it up to Alex Grinch. I'm not an expert when it comes to that. I know if Grant was here, he'd mention run blitzes and just putting a lot of players up in the line of scrimmage and making it difficult to get outside. You know, set those edges. Don't let him get outside. Uh, just sell out to stop Chuba Hubbard. I know it's a cliche, 
to sell out to stop the run. But, uh, and this is a cliche too, make Drew Brown beat you. You got to make Drew Brown beat you. Prove that he can do it. And this is going to be the key for probably everybody that breaks down this game that has two eyes and understands football a little bit. It doesn't take an expert to realize you got to stop Chuba, and that's the key for Oklahoma. It's not complicated to figure that out. It, just, it really isn't. West Virginia was able to slow Hubbard on the ground pretty well, and the Mountaineers had a chance to win that football game in the end. There's no doubt that Oklahoma is a lot more talented than West Virginia. So if the Sooners can limit Chuba Hubbard on the ground like West Virginia did, Oklahoma should win this game comfortably. Let me put this. I mean, if Oklahoma was able to slow Chuba Hubbard like West Virginia did, let me as I repeat this, oh, you should win this game going away. But I mean, again, this is the best running back in college football, and it's a lot easier said than done. And lastly, on defense, give me a takeaway. And while you're at it, make it more than one takeaway. All right, gang. What's going to happen in this one? I think the Sooners are going to win, but I don't know about a score. I know it's kind of lame. Uh, I'm not as confident about this game being close like I was the last two Oklahoma games. You may remember I I was pretty wishy-washy. I said, I don't know what the score is going to be against Baylor. I don't know what the score is going to be against TCU, but this Oklahoma team is too inconsistent. I can't lay all those points. And yeah, that's been right. I mean, Oklahoma has not covered going against the Sooners and grabbing a bunch of points has worked out the last even against Iowa State, too, has, has worked out. I mean, fading Oklahoma on the side has, has worked. Uh, I don't have as good of a feeling of that as I did the last three games uh, because I do think there is a scenario where the Sooners could boat race Oklahoma State on Saturday because Spencer Sanders is not playing. And I think his absence limits what Oklahoma State can do in the running game, which is huge. So bear with me here as I kind of talk myself through the rest of what is going to happen in this game. And I've got a little bit of a story that I hope comes into play for the sake of the Sooners on Saturday. So I was listening to a sports betting podcast yesterday, and I've been listening to this podcast every single week throughout the football season for the past few years now. Uh, It's hit and miss. This year, they have not been great with their picks. But overall, I'd say it's it's a pretty good podcast. I mean, last year, they were actually pretty solid. So I mean, it's sports betting is not easy it's you're, you're not going to always win. You're not going to always lose. And you just got to do your best to, I think they want to get, you know, 55% or, you know, 58 is obviously even better. Anyways, that doesn't matter at this point. But uh, the reason I bring this up is that there were three people on the show and they were talking about Bedlam, OU, OSU, and they were breaking the game down. And one of the guys had a best bet on Oklahoma state plus all those points and another guy liked Oklahoma State plus all those points. And I said there's three guys. The, the third guy didn't have a bet. He's kind of moderated things and, and wasn't picking either side. And you know, picking Oklahoma State to cover this spread is, is totally defensible. I have no problem with that. I think there's certainly a scenario where Oklahoma State does cover, and it's a close game. And uh, so that's fine. It's just the problem was each handicap by the two sides, the two guys, I thought was kind of questionable. And for one of the guys, one of his main points was that Oklahoma's energy level is questionable because over the last few games, OU's had to exert a lot to pull out close wins against Iowa State, Baylor, and TCU. So going on the road against Oklahoma State 
how much is Oklahoma going to have left in the tank? Okay, that was the main handicap of one guy. Now the other guy, a little bit of a different handicap, and he focused on the change from Spencer Sanders to Drew Brown, and his contention is that it was not properly priced in the number. And I think he said he estimated that the difference in what the line should have been or the difference in points between Spencer Sanders and Drew Brown is when it comes to the the spread, the line, should only be, should only be, as I repeat myself, about one or two points. And the contention was that Spencer Sanders just barely beat out Brown for the starting job and both quarterbacks are, you know, were pretty neck and neck. And therefore, Oklahoma State should not be downgraded a whole lot. And 13 points is a really good deal for Oklahoma State whenever, in his opinion, the quarterback situation is not much different. There's not much of a downgrade going from Sanders to Drew Brown. Now, I mean, who's to say that that's not true? I mean, it is a small sample size with Drew Brown. He played a little bit of the second half against Kansas and started the one game against West Virginia. So, you know what? This could be a good take. It could be. But in my opinion, I think it's a absolutely absurd take Brown's never played in a game as big as this Bedlam game coming up he's a veteran player I get that he's played more than 20 games at Hawaii but he came in last year as a grad transfer did not beat out Taylor Cornelius and then this past year he got beat out by Spencer Sanders a redshirt freshman And I don't think the quarterback battle this past preseason was neck and neck like that guy claimed. I think Sanders won the job pretty handily. And Spencer Sanders was starting to play some of his best football of the year. Pretty, uh, I almost said injury prone. That's that's not what, that's not right. He was turnover prone a good portion of the season. His last really bad game was against Baylor. And since then, he had done a great job of hanging on to the football fumbles were down interceptions were down even against good defenses like Iowa State and TCU so Spencer Sanders was playing some really good football before he injured that thumb against Kansas so in my estimation I'm going to bet that Drew Brown is a pretty massive downgrade at the quarterback spot and despite Oklahoma's recent struggles on defense the Sooners have actually been pretty solid over the last six quarters I said it earlier in the podcast Brown will be the most limited quarterback I guess I said the most you know, immobile quarterback, but I also think this is true. He's the most limited quarterback the Sooners have faced since mid-October, and I'd like to think that that works in Oklahoma's favor. So, okay, back to that podcast I was listening to. All three of the guys on the show, all of them were contending that Oklahoma State is going to want this game a lot more than Oklahoma's going to want the game. And one of them said he wasn't sure how much Oklahoma gets up for Bedlam because Texas is the bigger rival for the Sooners. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma State, this game is the Cowboys' season. And, I mean, I think that's a that's a decent point. We all know that there's we make jokes about how it's a rivalry, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma's won so many of the games, so how much of a rivalry is it? So I think he kind of stumbled upon that point because obviously Texas is Oklahoma's biggest rival. However, as we all know, Oklahoma has everything to play for in this game. That is a point that was not brought up at all by any of the people on that podcast. And I mention this aspect because I think there's a narrative nationally that Oklahoma is just out of the playoff race. And that's that. People don't even talk about them when it comes down to the final four. 
And I'm sure a lot of you probably listen and watch more college football reaction stuff than I do. Surprisingly, I, there's only a, a few people I really care to hear their opinions on. So I know people that watch college football final and, and you know watch a lot of the ESPN stuff, and I'll see people tweeting about it, and I'll hear their thoughts, and I'll think, wow, that's, I can't believe that. So you might be nodding your head along with me thinking that, yeah, you haven't heard a lot of people since Saturday, even since the playoff rankings came out on Tuesday, talking about Oklahoma, about how the Sooners still have a chance to make the playoff. It's all just, you know, hey, you know, will Georgia beat LSU and get in the playoff? You know, how's Alabama going to get in? You know, Alabama beats Auburn. You know, how are they going to get two SEC teams in? And then there's Utah. Nobody's talking about Oklahoma. So. That's what I hope is a factor in this game Saturday. I hope it's a factor. Oklahoma can still legitimately play the nobody believes in us card. And Oklahoma's nearly a two-touchdown favorite. There's nobody out there who's giving the Sooners a chance to make the playoff, except for us. All of us that follow this football team understand that Oklahoma has a lot of great potential opportunities left on its schedule. A top 25 Oklahoma State team and potentially a top 10 Baylor team. Utah doesn't have that on its schedule. Alabama doesn't have that on its schedule. We all listening to this podcast know Oklahoma still has a really good shot at being in the final four. Here's the question, though, when it comes to Bedlam. How much does all of this matter to college kids? How much can the coaches use all of this information and drill it into 18 to 22-year-old kids and get their attention? That's a question that I don't know the answer to. And that's the frustrating part of this is because we all get it. And you know what? Maybe they all get it too. And you can still get all this stuff and try to channel it. And it still may not matter because it all matters what you play like on the field. But we don't know how, how it works. Uh, you know, what's been told to these guys. So, you know, I'll put it this way to close. If you were to tell me that my theory that I just kind of laid out about the nobody believes in us and, and how Oklahoma can use that as fuel and, and even though the Sooners are nearly a two-touchdown favorite, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and the gang can really point to the playoff rankings and say, listen, guys, they're showing you that you take care of business, you play really well, and you win big and you win comfortably – I'm not sure if they're going to say that, but it's kind of implied, hopefully. You're going to the playoff. You take care of business, you can make the playoff. There's The committee is, is giving you that. They're opening that door based on Ohio State, jumping LSU, putting Baylor up a lot higher than they were. If all of that can get into these players and they understand it, if you told me that theory will factor in a positive way and the Sooners channel that energy into a good week of practice, I say Oklahoma wins this game and covers that spread. But since that's still a big unknown, I'll still contend that I think Oklahoma wins, but I can't recommend one side or the other for gambling purposes if you're into that. And I'll mention that because Grant's out in Vegas this week. It's pretty obvious to me that if the same Oklahoma team we've seen since the K-State game comes out Saturday night, the Sooners are not going to cover the spread. It's just they've been way too inconsistent. All right, with all of that, I'll turn it over to Grant to close out the show and grant recorded his thoughts on oklahoma state after the tcu game and so he's got a lot of thoughts on oklahoma state and i'll play them right now uh you know good on grant i'm looking at it right now it's almost 10 minutes long so 
if you guys want to hear Grant's thoughts on Oklahoma State, uh, he'll have all of them for you right here. So I'll play this, and then we'll wrap up the show today, and you guys can enjoy your Thanksgiving. Hey, guys. So I am recording my just sort of my general thoughts on Oklahoma State. This is going to be really quick. I'm recording this on Saturday night, uh, about to leave for Las Vegas in the morning, going on a much-needed vacation after after a pretty rough and long couple weeks, kind of personally and and health related. So, gonna be really nice to get out of uh, get out of the state and, and go and relax a little bit in Vegas, my by far my favorite city uh, in the continental United States. Um, but also, I wanna I wanna give my thoughts on Oklahoma State because um, uh, obviously a huge game coming up here in Stillwater, Bedlam, um, Oklahoma State. They were able to survive against West Virginia on the road. And, of course, they, they got some bad news this past week when Spencer Sanders, it looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the regular season. He had, uh, he had surgery. And uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be back for the bowl game or not. I don't know if they've, they've said that. But it looks like it's going to be Drew Brown for Oklahoma State and Bedlam against OU on Saturday. And uh, I, I think in terms of analyzing this game, it's pretty simple. Stop Chuba Hubbard, and you're probably going to have a really good opportunity to win this game and maybe win this game by a lot. Um, it actually feels kind of kind of funny saying win by a lot with this Oklahoma team. It, does, it seems like they're sort of allergic you know, to winning games by double digits at this point in time, so that might be kind of a crazy thing to say. But, but with Oklahoma State, it's all about Chuba Hubbard, especially on offense. And you got to think they're, they're going to try to get him the ball 30 or 35 times. Um, Mike Gundy, I, I'm sure, is going to be watching film from this last month or so. He's going to be doing everything in his power to replicate what other teams have had success doing, and I'm sure he's going to try to do that with uh, with the ball in Chuba Hubbard's hands. In terms of Drew Brown's throwing ability, I did watch a little bit of that West Virginia game. I didn't come away extremely impressed, and I also remember watching some highlights of him when he was at Hawaii, kind of when we were analyzing him uh, last year and the year before that as well. I'm sorry, this summer and the, and the summer before that as well. And uh, he's a guy who's probably going to try to be a game manager. That's what he was against West Virginia. That's really all they needed him to be. But I, I got to think in order to beat Oklahoma, they're going to need him to, play, to, to make some plays. However, I'm, I'm not sure how capable he's going to be of doing that. But, you know, in a rivalry game, you, you never know. But really, I think in, in terms of Oklahoma's defense, their entire game plan does need to be centered around uh, stopping... Chuba Hubbard. You saw Caleb Kelly. He got quite a bit of run in the game against TCU, or at least he did in the second half that I saw. And you got to think that he's going to be a big part of the game plan, probably against against Oklahoma State, trying to get a little more beef in the box, trying to stop Chuba Hubbard. Um, let's see here. The offense is, you know, what else can I say about the offense other than I, I hope they look better? They've been really inconsistent. You got an Oklahoma State defense that has kind of found their stride a little bit in the second half of the Big 12 slate. They've been playing a lot better as late. Um, and, of course, their offense was was a bit of a no-show in Morgantown uh, on Saturday, and their defense was able to win the game for them. I believe they only gave up 13 points to West Virginia. Uh, they won that game 20-13. to 13, So, And, you know, with you know Jim Knowles, he's a guy who likes to send pressure. Uh, uh, Jalen Hurts at times has struggled with pressure this season. I, I'm curious as to how much pressure Oklahoma State would send um, because they're not going to want to leave themselves vulnerable on the back end. Um, they don't want defensive backs having to turn their back and run with receivers while guys are, are blitzing because, of course, that's going to open up Jalen Hurts hurting them in the run game. Um, but really, I mean, this 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 probably is going to be a game again where OU is going to have to grind it out. 
There does seem to be some tape out on OU, and teams have had success, especially the last two games, Baylor and TCU, limiting the big plays downfield. We thought with CeeDee Lamb coming back into the lineup, that would improve in the passing game, and of course that was not the case. We'll see if if, if, it, if that's something that they can kind of spring up uh, next week against Oklahoma State. I think it's going to be important. You need big plays like that um, on the road when you want to win in a difficult environment like that. Typically with Baylor, that Baylor game where they had to string out those really long, sustained drives of 12, 13 plays over and over again, statistically that's just really unlikely to be sustainable. It's really hard to sustain that. You do need big plays to, to score a lot. Um, and, and, and you saw that, I think, in this game against TCU where OU really did try to sit on the ball. They tried to grind out these drives and they weren't able to finish them just because eventually the defense, when they're out there long enough, they're going to make a play, and that's what TCU did. And uh, Oklahoma State with Jim Knowles, you saw that in the, in the Iowa State game, they made some big plays against West Virginia. That defense has been able to get off the field, and they've made some big momentum-swinging plays, and that is the exact thing that has been going against OU. Uh, in October, or the end of October, into November as well. But still, OU has somehow still found a way to win three games now in November. They have not lost a November game since 2014. That embarrassing home loss to Baylor. Um, and here it is. I mean, it, it's right in front of them. This is going to be a difficult uh, a difficult environment on a Saturday night with a with probably a jacked-up crowd facing a backup quarterback very similarly, kind of the last time they went into Stillwater uh, in an attempt to clench a, a Big 12 title. They were also facing a backup quarterback. That game went very well for them. They were impressive. They won by five touchdowns. This seems like an OU team maybe just not capable of that right now just because of the bad juju that they have. Uh, they just can't get over the hump. I think eventually... It, just, it, it does sort of seem like the floodgates are going to open. It seemed like in the first quarter that's what was going to happen against TCU until they came storming back just because of the plethora of mistakes uh, that, that the Sooners made. Those are mistakes they're not going to be able, they, they just cannot make against Oklahoma State. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be primed to be upset. There's only so many times that you can live on the edge and not get burnt. And they did this last year in November as well. They played close game after close game. Last year, it was the offense bailing them out. This year, it's been the defense that's bailed them out. So in in that way, it's very similar to last year. Um, but, you know, Oklahoma State, this is a game that they're obviously going to be jacked up for. They're going to want to win. It's a, it's, it's a rivalry game. This is their Super Bowl. They've been eliminated from, from conference title contention. And really, for them, this is just their opportunity for a pelt on the wall and you know that they're going to be jacked up and ready to go. So OU is going to need to match that intensity, something they've had they've had a lot of trouble doing the last the last few weeks, the last month of the season, really. Um, so I, I really hope that this week they can get right, understand that this is a big moment for them. This isn't this is a situation where they, you know, if they do have playoff aspirations, not only do they need to win this game, they need to win this game impressively. They know that. Oklahoma State knows that. The college football committee knows that. We'll see. Back against the wall. Um, the the main goals of their season still there. They can still achieve these goals, but it, it it's looking a lot more dicey now. They just they just gotta play better. And uh, I I think Oklahoma State is probably gonna pre- present a pretty pretty difficult challenge for this team, especially Chuba Hubbard and that improving defense. So. Um, Here's to them figuring out over the course of the week. I, you know, 
I, I'm not an insanely confident that they're going to be able to put it all together at this point in time. I do think they are going to win the game. I'll give a score prediction of 38-28. to 28. I think it's going to be a close game. I think they're probably going to put together a quarter or two of really good football and probably a quarter or two. That's going to leave us scratching our heads a little bit because that's just who this team has, has turned out to be in the second half of the year. And um, it's disappointing that it, it's... It's disappointing that this doesn't have the look of, of a good playoff team, um, but still a, a team that is going to have an opportunity to win their fifth straight Big 12 title, which is one heck of a consolation prize. And if I'm being honest, that's mostly where I have shifted my focus um, going forward. I, I would really like that Big 12 championship uh, going forward. And uh, this game, this, this game in Stillwater in a tough environment, it, it should serve as a good tune-up um, for what is likely to be a, a, a difficult rematch against Baylor going forward. So I think OU is going to win in Stillwater, 38-28. to 28. Um, I think they're probably going to struggle at times, and I think they're going to look really good at times because that's just who this team is. So um, uh, I hope everybody enjoys the game on Saturday night in, in Bedlam. I am going to be uh, down in Minneapolis for college game day. I am going to be at the Minnesota-Wisconsin game. And uh, hopefully that's something I can report back to everybody with some with some fun stories and whatnot. I will be bringing roses with me to that game um, in hopes that if the Golden Gophers can pull it off, I can maybe throw a couple roses uh, onto the field um, and they can kind of punch their ticket to Pasadena. Um, other than that, everyone enjoy the game in Stillwater. Boomer Sooner, I love everybody. Um, I'm having fun in Las Vegas. Hopefully I've won a whole lot of money. But uh, until then, it's it was uh, it's. I'm glad I was able to kind of record these before I left, and, and hopefully these aren't too jumbled. So thanks everyone, Boomer Sooner. All right. So there's Grant's thoughts on Oklahoma State, and um, good on good on him for making a prediction. And he did that, you know, after again after the TCU game. So he didn't even have the opportunity to watch a whole lot of. Oklahoma State tape back I know he's watched the Cowboys throughout the season like a lot of you have just in passing on Saturdays and things like that but I think he uh, he made some good points and uh, I will be interested to hear about the <clears throat> the college game day experience because a lot of you may remember a few weeks back whenever Grant made the pitch that college game day should have come to Minneapolis before the Minis uh, the Minnesota Penn State game Grant claimed that it would be the biggest game day crowd ever well Minnesota gets its chance now going up against its biggest rival, Wisconsin. So I'll be curious to see what game day looks like this Saturday. No pick segment on this episode since Grant is not here. By the way, last week, both of us were three and two. Uh, for me this weekend, it's going to be a bit bizarre for me, gang. I had a bunch of time. I still have a bunch of time off uh, still left that I need to take off from work. Because uh, that's, I'm sure, like a lot of you, you have PTO, you have time off, and it just kind of expires at the end of the year. And when the football season hits, I can't ever really take time off. And so sometimes around the holidays, around you know, it's I basically talk with Brian Mueller, and we have to figure out you know, who's going to work Thanksgiving, who's going to work Christmas. And so uh, we decided, same as last year, I'm going to do the Christmas time. He does Thanksgiving, so I'm going to be off all throughout the weekend. And since Oklahoma's playing on the road in Stillwater. I wasn't necessarily needed to cover the game on Saturday because we get a lot of help from KOTV in Tulsa. And so 
I'm off on Saturday and I might go to Bedlam as a fan. And, you know, I kind of hate that word fan. If you've been listening to this podcast forever, I, I'm not the biggest fan of fan, <laughs> ironically. But basically go to Bedlam as a non-credentialed member, uh, as a non-media member, put it that way. Actually, no, I haven't even gone to Bedlam since I've been at News 9 because I've had to anchor those days. So I've, I haven't been to Bedlam at all since 2009, I believe was the last time I went to Bedlam. And I believe Oklahoma won in shutout fashion, I think 27 to nothing that day on Owen Field. But anyways, uh, we'll see. I might go to the game. It's not guaranteed yet, but I do plan on actually being in Stillwater on Saturday for what that's worth. So we'll see if I go to the game. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Going to the game as a, as a non-media member uh, after going to so many games as a media member, that could be kind of kind of bizarre. But I just wanted to throw that out there. It's going to be kind of a weird weekend for me, not having to work and using my time off and hoping to to enjoy an OU football game, hopefully enjoy it, depending on how the game goes, Uh, not working, not turning around stories for the next day or helping, you know, with with Dean, uh, putting his stories together, shooting video, going to press conferences, things like that. Obviously, I'll I'll listen to all that stuff later after the fact, but uh, should be an interesting weekend. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I know this podcast is coming out a little bit later on Thanksgiving than I wanted it to, but uh, I really wanted to dive deep and do a lot of research for this one since I knew I'd be solo. Hopefully, this has been informative. You've enjoyed this, and you guys find time to listen to it on Thanksgiving or on Black Friday before OU plays in Bedlam against Oklahoma State. So thanks for listening. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.